0: Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend is sponsored by IAMLIP.com. Trigger Warning Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend deals with the subject of divorce, child custody, domestic abuse, the attitude of public bodies, and the family court. Some people may find the content of this episode distressing. Some episodes contain explicit language. My name is Selena. Who am I? I am white, I am black, I am brown and I am much, much more. I am a Christian, I am a Hindu, I am a Buddhist, I am a Sikh, I am a Muslim, I am Catholic and human to the core. I am every person who did what they were supposed to do, leave and tell. I am every person who was re-abused by the system. I am every person who was disbelieved by the police before I even began to speak my truth. I am every person who faced an unaccountable family court only to be silenced by their orders. I am Anonymous Us and here are our stories. There is a photo of Sally on the mantelpiece of their home. The home that they no longer share with their abuser. The home that they're still waiting for it to become their safe haven. Mel always found herself looking at the photos of her mum. Emily put it up there after their dad left. Now, when I say it was a photo of Sally, it looked like their mum at surface level. And if any of their friends were ever to come round, they'd say, is that your mum when she was younger? And they would say yes. But that yes would be superficial. Yes. The person in the photo has all of Sally's facial features. A beta younger mum. A mum from the late 90s. A mum who had just moved from London after graduating from university to start her girl about town lifestyle looking all sassy and together with her Rachel from Friends haircut which now looks outdated to her children, like those celebs from these before-they-were-famous articles in magazines. But at the time, it was her. Sally. But there is something else about looking at that photo now. The muscles in her face are different. In the late 90s photo, they were loose, relaxed and happy. That's not their mum. That's a photo of who she was or who she must have been from before she met their dad. The mum they had known during their upbringing, and even now, has tense muscles in her face, and lacks the effervescence of the photo on the mantelpiece. Granted, as life happens, we all move on. We all change and grow, and priorities change. But you are fundamentally the same person, just further on down the line of life events, at different stages with different priorities and responsibilities, many children only know their parent according to the timeline of them being their parent. That's who they are. Many people don't know who their parents were before they were born, but you experience snippets of them through their photos, their memories, and their stories, that little throwback when they're with old friends, and you can see what they must have been like that auntie who's not really your auntie, but your mum's close friend, tells you all about the mad stuff. And you think, my mum? A mad party animal? Really? Until Emily put that photo up on the mantelpiece. All the photos of her were Dad's choice. Photos of them with him, his family. Photos that none of them can bear to look at now. Because they can now see what they couldn't see before. A lack of mum. The mum they'll never know. The mum they had known did not have the essence of the woman from the late 90s, her spirit and, dare I say it, her soul. It wasn't there while they were growing up. She had been wiped out when she became a different person for him, for herself, for her own survival. And most of all, her children's safety. Mel would say that is called sacrificing yourself, acting like the safe parent. (music) Whilst growing up, Mel and her siblings did not get to enjoy their mum's things, her old things. School photos, college photos, keepsakes, presents. The only time they would have access to anything like that would be at their nana's house before she moved, their mum's old bedroom was exactly like it was from the last time she lived there, just after university before she moved to London. Their nana never changed it. Almost like a shrine. It was as if she had predicted the daughter she knew would soon be gone. At the time, the kids didn't think it was strange that none of mum's stuff was with her at their home. But furthermore, the other stuff, like her social media, Sally only had photos of them and him posted. Like her life only began after she met their dad. Old school friends did tag her in old photos they'd upload, but he'd make her untag herself. She wasn't allowed to participate in her old life, even if it was to reminisce via shares and comments of, oh my god, do you remember? Mel, since studying for her PhD and masters before that, came to learn this was typical in an abusive situation. Her dad didn't want Sally to remember who she was, remember that there was a before, and want and yearn to go back to that. So by breaking her down, she would remain under his control. From what Mel understood from her aunt, her mum, she was formidable, and that's the woman who her dad obliterated. Again, at the time, it didn't seem strange. None of it seemed weird. Because they didn't know any different. This setup was their normal. Someone once asked Mel, What was it like to grow up with an autistic brother? The kind of question people ask sometimes. And Mel's answer was, I don't know. To me, it's normal. It's my normal. Your normal is different from that. I don't know what it's like to grow up in a house without a sibling with SEND needs. Why don't you explain that to me? And here is the crux of the issue. This person is expecting Mel to know what it's like not to have a sibling with SEND needs. That is the default setting and explain it to them that way to try and make them understand not them try to understand Mel. Over time, Mel found that questions like these were usually about her trying to make the Sams of the world understand her on his terms as opposed to her terms. The flow of information and understanding was going in the wrong direction because how she grew up for a very long time was normal. They had nothing to compare it to. There was never a before. So being asked to speak about something that was an everyday situation for her, and to explain it to someone looking at it through the eyes of someone who didn't grow up in a household with abuse. So, back to the issue of abuse. How do you tell someone who didn't grow up with abuse what abuse is? But sometimes Mel would meet people who'd get it. There would be an unspoken understanding. She'd say it, they'd get it. No further explanation. This is what speaking about abuse, about trauma, should have been about, should be about. And like I said in the last episode, then there's everyone else. Let's pick up from the last episode. Sam and the questions. Only they weren't questions. Her story came with his judgement, something to be understood. But even if it wasn't judgement, there was still a barrier to understanding. In a way, what Sam was saying was, I've decided I don't understand. But to try and understand, I'm going to keep asking questions, but not about the abuse, but about the choices made by you and your mum. And then, I'm going to comment on how I feel about the choices you made and whether you should have made them. You need to make it make sense to me. And that's when Mel realised that Sam wasn't listening to understand. He had the intent of remaining confused. And you may think, why would that be? Because it didn't fit the picture in his head. The stereotype. The stereotype is one of the first things that get in the way of people like Sam understanding. If Mel were to ask Sam, or most people, to paint a picture of what they thought Mel's upbringing was, Without a doubt, it would look like the cover of a misery memoir. They picture the stereotype. They expect to hear the stereotype that, growing up, Mel's home life was screaming and shouting and quivering in corners. The mum with the black eye. The stereotype that is often portrayed on TV dramas and soaps. And you are given no reason to think that that's not realistic when the portrayal then goes on to be applauded and lauded and rewarded with gongs and best actor nominations. But the people doing the applauding and lauding and rewarding are just as ill-informed as anyone else. And between all of them, this unrealistic one-size-for-all portrayal just goes round and round, becoming more solidified as it goes, as the gospel of what domestic abuse should be and looks like. But what you see, being applauded and lauded and rewarded, is not how it is in real life. And your stereotype is too strong for people like me to dismantle. Because first, I must educate you, dismantle your assumptions, then convince you what my normal is. I'm not convincing anyone. Do you know how exhausting this is? The effect that it has on me. Mel's normal was never going to fit the picture in Sam's head. He had decided it had to fit his vision precisely, and if it didn't, and if Mel didn't give him the answers he was expecting, he would ask again and again, refusing to understand that her truth may be different to his assumptions. And I can tell you something from experience. If you don't deliver, it didn't happen. It wasn't abuse. And that trust you gave to open up and speak your truth is shattered into a million pieces and then you lock yourself away again. But the thing with the stereotype is that there is no room for nuance. How does Mel say to someone who is expecting the misery memoir picture, no, growing up, I didn't hate him. During the horrible times, there were also happy times, good times, laughter and love. How does she explain that it's not a hundred percent one way or a hundred percent the other? He wasn't one hundred percent monster or a hundred percent saint. There was also a kind man in there, and in many ways she did feel love for her non safe parent. There was an emotional attachment that was there from birth, from being a toddler, being a young child into a young adult. And no, it's not the same as a trauma bond. And it was a normal thing. For Mel to overwhelmingly feel confused, to also feel anger towards her mum. Why was she letting this happen? Why wasn't she putting a stop to it? Why didn't she stand up to him? Why wasn't she making their lives better? Why didn't she pack her bags and leave with us? Why didn't she throw him out? Why didn't she take a meat cleaver from the kitchen and plunge it into his heart so they'd all be free forever? And yes, she still loved him and her! and hated the pair of them at the same time. How the fuck do you explain that juxtaposition to anyone? How do you explain that to people? How the hell can Mel explain and answer Sam's questions when she doesn't even know the answers herself? And okay, here's the thing. Ordinary lay people do not get it. There's no reason for them to. But the main people should. The experts, the people in the courts making the decisions, the Kafka's officers listening to these confused children who can hate and love the same person at the same time, want them to stay but want them gone. How the hell do you explain any of that? Coming back to the previous point, that there was never a before for any of them. Mel had nothing to compare it to. When Mel and her siblings were growing up, no one ever said to them, behave like this or behave like that. It was never that obvious. They just knew what was expected of them. They had to behave a certain way or their mum would get it in the neck. An automatic hypervigilance. That's what they grew up with. When they went out, they knew what would be expected of them. No mucking around at family barbecues. How they would behave would be a reflection on their mum or an excuse to tell her off. But sometimes, usually Matthew, would do something that would cause Dad to have words in the car on the way home. And they all kind of knew that it wouldn't be the end of it for their mum. Only now do they know that it was more than just a telling off when their mum used to say, Go on, darling, go upstairs, and take your brother and sister with you. And there would be the tense smile. A smile that was completely opposite from the beaming jawline of the young woman in the 90s photo. At the time, they thought always living in don't upset dad mode was normal. So coming back to my previous point, that there was never a before Mel had nothing to compare it to, How could she then analyse her situation? But having said that, it doesn't mean that they didn't know that being shouted at wasn't normal. It doesn't mean that they blindly accepted it. But it was normal, an everyday reality. Because when Mel was younger, she didn't see it. It wasn't something to look out for, or know how she should read the tension in the air. Only now, ten years on, in hindsight, Does Mel understand the significance of that photo on the mantelpiece and the significance of trying to educate all those in the family courts need to understand a child's voice beyond face value and their confusion of words? So, before I move on, I just want to summarise. As much as Mel, Matthew and Emily knew, their home life wasn't okay. Their dad always honoured their mum about something wasn't okay. It was their normal everyday life. And it's not like they had much else to compare it to. They had never known a time before. Their mum, however, had had a time before her current situation, but they hadn't. Mel makes a further point. That is, when Ian, their dad, was removed from their home life, it was not the end. The abusive situation continued, so all of them never had an after. They still don't have an after, and it looks like they will never have an after. They are all still having a during, the second leg of their during. And if you have listened to previous podcasts, then we already know the name for the second leg of the during. It's called post-separation abuse. And, as we know from many victim-survivors' experiences, post-separation abuse is something that is misunderstood. The family courts, their judges and as we're now talking about children, their associated organisations, such as CAFCAS and social workers, the police and most legal people, also misunderstand this. No, actually, let me rephrase. It's not misunderstand. It can seem that they are entirely unaware of its existence. And the one thing that Mel is adamant about highlighting and giving voice to is number one, the false belief that if the apparent target is the safe parent, then abuse and post separation abuse does not affect any children involved. Number two, another false belief is that when it's over, the abusive behaviour ends. And number three, post-separation abuse and post-separation in all its forms very much affects the children in the situation and if you target or are allowed to target the safe parent then you target the children so let's give voice to these three issues and in the next episode let's start on the day their post-separation began Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend is sponsored by IamLIP.com. If you are struggling with any of the issues discussed in today's episode, please go to www.IamLIP.com where you can receive further information and help. Disclaimer. The stories mentioned in this episode are fictional accounts based on and adapted from real-life experiences. Due to the repetitive nature of the family court any similarities to any other cases are purely coincidental.